No, I don't. I don't watch Game of Thrones. Why? Because I'm just contrarian. Okay. The more people tell me to watch it, the more stubborn I am about it. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I never watched The Wire until 2012. What? <laughs> oh my god. And of course, I was completely wrong. It's amazing, and I should have watched it at the time. Right. I still haven't watched it though. <laughs> I was just saying what because I know it's really good and I haven't watched it yet. So what corrections and omissions and updates do we have to do this week? Well, I would like to tell you about the first ninja that I drew. Where where can people see this? People can see it at 100ninja.tumblr.com. I think it's really gross. I think oh, it's... Oh, no. I've seen it. It's really not bad at all. It's... if Let's just say if I were to do the art for a board game, I would not buy it. So right now, this is on a par with Sentinels and the Multiverse. It, I think it beats it just by a little bit, but doesn't beat it because it's not color or anything. So this is something that I drew in maybe 15 minutes. Okay. Um, and immediately, it's I feel it's very flat. There's no dimension. There's no action. Uh, the, the pose is not dynamic at all. I tried to do a sketch, an earlier sketch, where the ninja was a little bit more dynamic, but it just came out super awkward. So I said, okay, you know, let's just try something that's a little bit more straightforward and something that I'm more comfortable with. And I just drew it out. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I need more practice. Well, luckily, you have 99 more of them to come. <laughs> there you go. So to my untrained eye, I go, oh my God, that looks really good because it looks like a ninja. And that, for me, is the baseline of good drawing. Because <laughs> if I try and draw anything, it doesn't look like the thing I'm trying to draw. Well, perhaps my taste in drawing will develop as I follow this blog. Hopefully it'll make me a better drawer as well. When's the next one? Uh, next week. Okay. So when you hear this podcast, you should be able to see the next one. Excellent. Someone did mention, which I thought was super funny, that on the episode where we talk about the first X-Files episode... Mm-hmm. Um, I believe my brother pointed out that we were so anti-spoilers about everything <laughs> and then we just blurred out the entire plot line for X-Files <laughs> spoilers are hard yeah maybe we should name this section the COUAs corrections, omissions, updates and apologies <laughs> yeah I mean also from I mean not just not talking about spoilers but then when you know they're in there mm. It's very tricky to edit because what do you do? You have two options as far as I see it. You can either bleep out the spoilers, which you've kind of done in kind of for semi-comedic effect in the past. Right. But that's not satisfying because the people who have seen it still don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way then to divide whether people want to listen to it or not. You, Everyone just doesn't hear it. Yeah. The second option is to then is for me to go back and record a little drop in to say hey there's spoilers in this next section fast forward to x moment in time i don't like doing that because i'm lazy and i'm like oh god i have to record a thing (laughs) and then also this has to be done after it's been edited because then i know all the time stamp is for when the spoilers stop right how about if we just create um little segments of either of us saying the next the next section contains spoilers for TV show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just use some um, uh, like a voice algorithm to say yeah. the next part. X files. Yeah. It will contain spoilers of Giltmark Girls. 
Or there is a third option, which is we move all conversations of a spoilery nature to the end. I feel like then you're saving all the good stuff for the last part. Isn't that always what we do? Mm. Um, yeah, if you if it's right at the end, then you can just say, from now on, there's spoilers about this or that show. Mm. And then people can just not listen until they've caught up. Yeah. Mm. Then, of course, they will miss our hilarious outros right. that we like to drop in. <laughs> but, you know. Right. I think right now we do a pretty good balance. And considering our massive audience size... Well, that is true. Um, yeah, I don't think it's really a major issue yet. Oh, well, that's with a tiny bit of updates is I did pick a couple of 99% Invisible episodes to listen to. Right. And I didn't mind them because you mentioned in the previous show that you, you had difficulty listening to them because of the, is it the pacing? No, the I think he, it sounds like he's like touching his lips on the mic. Just all up in that mic. Right, exactly. <laughs> like a little too much. I tried listening to it again. I just couldn't. I had to stop again. <laughs> Do you remember which episode it was? Ah, fuck. I have my notes for our next subject all ready to go on my phone, so I can't look it up. Well, that seems like a perfect segue. Is there going to be like a section opener for our book club? Are we going to have a jingle? The book club. Bling. So the book I've selected for our book club for the past... Do do you say the past fortnight? I would. Okay. Instinctively, I would. But now my Mm -hmm. American filter is turned on. So I would now say two weeks. So the past two weeks, we've done here read a book. (laughs) And the book was uh, Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Mm -hmm. I've I've practiced a lot to say his last name. The book is called Essentialism, The Mm -hmm. Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And the book is essentially, would you say this was a self-help book or a... Um, motivational book what would you what, what would you determine this book to be if you were in a barnes and noble which section would this book be in this turned into a dewey decimal system quiz <laughs> um i would say i'm not sure it's a motivational book in a traditional sense of me getting motivated from it so i think i would that means it would fall more more into the self-betterment self-improvement section i would say so I see the sections right here on my hardcover copy of the book. Okay, how did I do? It says personal success. Oh, I like that section. But also business and economics. I think that's a fair fair assessment. Well done, Dewey. Um, I don't think he personally does any of the categorizations himself. He's retired now, I guess. Right. After a lifetime of cataloging things. <laughs> he's, right, screw it. He's tired. Yeah. Yeah, personal success, I think, would be a very good classification of this book. The book is... I was going to say essentially about essentialism, but that sounds really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Right. The book helps you, in a nutshell, talk about some examples to get rid of all all the stuff that you don't need and focus on the ones that's very crucial to you Um, and multiple examples. So the book goes through four parts. Uh, The first part being sort of what the definition of essentialism is. Uh, the second part explains the uh, how or like determining what's essential. Mm-hmm. And then part three is cutting out the non-essentials, uh, giving you some tools on how to get rid of the non-essentials so you can focus on the essential stuff. And then part mm-hmm. four is focus, um, becoming the essentialist. And each parts have uh, very well-articulated chapters 
um, that sort of take you through examples and use cases for each one. This is also going to be a review of Audible as well, because this is the first book that I have ever listened to using Audible. Right. Which I'm very interested in finding out because I just know, I know. You? I, I have this feeling that you absolutely, you absolutely hate it. <laughs> well, let's, let's dive in. Yes. From that let's. springboard. <laughs> as you said, Greg McEwen read this himself. Mm-hmm. And he has he's a very clear speaking voice. Mm-hmm. And he speaks at a reasonable pace. Yes. But he leaves huge gaps between his sandwiches. <laughs> I was yearning for Overcast's smart speed option just mm. to trim those silences because you can speed up in Audible, but at you know 1.5 times works pretty well. But any more mm-hmm. than that, when he's speaking, it's way too fast. Right. But then there's, the gaps are reasonable at that point. So I listened to it at yeah, 1.5x. I had to go from 1.25 to 1.5. Um, from time to time when there are stuff or sections that were really rich in content i had to turn it back to 1.25 and listen to some sections over again just to catch them i cannot imagine listening to this book at normal speed right uh i started off with it just to get just to get used to his voice and it was okay i think i could have persisted but i also noticed that i i was falling asleep a lot (laughs) friend of the show san kim did recommend that we listen to this faster than normal space not, mm-hmm. not that normal speed and uh he is indeed right right and for most audible books i do listen to it at 1.25 which uh is just right for me it seems i really want I, I want those silences trimmed that's why i'm so happy to give overcast 12 bucks a year because it's amazing i think i had a few problems i think firstly this is something that you've spoken about before, perhaps not on this show, but to me at least, is feeling like you're comprehending the words that are going into your ears. Mm-hmm. For me, this felt like a passive activity, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't actively learning. Because I'm so used to, if I'm listening to a podcast or something, I'm usually doing something else as well. Right. And the nature of a podcast is it's like chatty nature. You don't necessarily have to be paying 100% of your attention. It's not like you are often it's not you're not studying what you're listening to mm-hmm. is like in a nice accompaniment to what you're doing so i found it very difficult to feel like i was actively learning and studying and so now i'm a little bit afraid because I'm, i can't remember anything about this book oh <laughs> you know like i've got a few notes here and there but right whereas if i had the hard copy in the past in the book clubs i've got my little flags in the margins and Mm -hmm. I can flip between and now I'm looking it's audible and there's like a chapter list and it's all chapter one through chapter 22 and that's all you get (laughs) like how do you know they were like the sections of the book I was like that's amazing I'm sure he said it but for me it didn't feel like it went into my brain and like oh the book's organized like this yeah it just felt like him talking for six hours and I think that's something that you do have to get used to like the more that you listen to audible that's something you've said you've been practicing right um i think my listening comprehension has vastly improved since i started listening to audible and one of the things that you start to notice especially on some of these health self-help books or personal success books indeed is that um you you get to figure out how it's sort of laid out and for me to recall it in my memory i sort of have to paint the picture of the book in my head as i'm listening So visually saying like whenever he says like chapter three, okay, so we're about like this much in the book. Like I have to kind of visualize that in a sense. Mm. And I know like the new chapter has ended and now he's talking about a new chapter. 
right? So it's sort of like putting those 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 like sticky tabs, like you said, in your mind's eye, right? Yeah. You know, like it's also different from these type of books versus more story driven books. With more mm-hmm. story driven books, you can be a little bit more passive and just listen to it without really having to pay attention. Um, much like podcasts, but yeah, for personal success books, it's it's like uh, you do have to be uh, very aware of everything that the that the reader is saying. The other problem I had was I found it difficult to find time to listen to Audible. Like it's it cut into my podcast listening time. Mm. Moments when I would normally listen to a podcast, I now had to go like, oh, I really want to listen to a podcast. Oh no, I guess I should listen to Audible and listen to this book. Yeah. You do have to make that compromise. Yeah, like it just ate into my podcast listening time. Right. Whereas in the previous book clubs, reading time is mm-hmm. separate from podcasting time. Like somehow I find time to like, oh, now is reading time, whether yeah. it's, you know, late in the evening, just before I go to bed or, you know, just sitting quietly for, you know, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Finding reading time was easier, but right. finding finding time to listen to a an audiobook you just ate into podcast listening time yeah and it's like and it's not like you're never gonna sit down in your house and listen to a podcast i mean listen to an audiobook right yes whereas oh i might just have a cup of tea and sit down and read this book for 20 minutes 20 30 minutes yeah. certainly that'd be funny like oh like prepare yourself a little cup of tea <laughs> and yes. then pop in some headphones and yeah but you know i've actually done that which is funny <laughs> You're a um, true audiobook professional. So the thing is, uh, what I used to do at home um, before I went to bed were like these little side projects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the side projects that I had for a really long time was uh, painting miniatures. Oh, like the Warcraft things? Right. It was for a commission that I was doing uh, sort of as a fun project. And I had to paint like over 50 of them. And so in the span of over two years, I did paint over 50 of them. Wow. Right, which I think I'm going to write about um, eventually because that was one of the huge um, projects that really helped me with my procrastination. Overcoming procrastination by painting. Right. Like 50 things I've learned about my procrastinations while painting over 50 figures, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the title almost writes itself. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a medium post right there, buddies. Oh, God. (laughs) But uh, aside from that, I'd listen to audiobooks while I was painting and it was almost like the perfect combination. Oh um, yeah, I can see that totally working. Yeah. Yeah. So I really got into audiobooks uh doing that. I would suggest trying it with a fantasy book or something that's a little bit more fiction, story driven. Yeah. And then see how you like that. Because right now I feel like I'm way light on notes mm-hmm. and I'm struggling to remember the book. Like at dinner tonight I was trying to explain the book. And I was like <laughs> uh it's the book about the thing and uh and i was like oh my god i know nothing about this book and i listened to it <laughs> so zam you may have to carry this review for most of right. <laughs> for most of it um so sorry okay. about that <laughs> this is a learning experience for us all and it's funny that you mentioned that it cuts into your podcasting time because i'd say every other podcast is sponsored by audible don't, don't listen to podcasts listen to this audiobook instead right but I did find the whole, I think, did we talk about this? I may have cut this on the last show, but the Audible pricing structure is a bit confusing. It's like a hybrid of a subscription and right. a pay-as-you-go or pay-as-you-want. Yeah. Or a it's, purchase system, rather. Right. You're buying credits through a subscription. 
and then using those credits to buy it. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know what other service would do that. Like HBO or Showtime for like a boxing match? Like you're already paying a subscription, but then you have to pay for this. Like one-offs, right? One-off thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're not logged in. I mean, it's not really like a subscription unless, yeah, it's different. Mm. I almost want to say like video games kind of do this where you pay like a monthly. No, not even. Hmm. It's odd. It is. But they seem to be going great guns, so. Yeah. Their app updates are kind of slow, and their app is pretty hideous. Oh, that's the other thing. The app is not happy if you try and start playing while on a poor connection. Oh, you know, that's that was a recent update. That's really dumb. That's so um, irritating. I was like, just fucking play. I know you've got the file there. Right. There's a little spinner spinning around when I open the app, and I'm like in the elevator or just coming out of the subway or something. Yeah, and it used and it wasn't and it didn't do that before. You have the file locally. You've downloaded it. Just fucking play it. Once you've downloaded it, you can actually play it right away. But for some reason, with this latest update, it does that stupid thing, and it drives me crazy. I mean, my guess would be it's trying to do like a sync. It's like phones home to Amazon and goes, "Hey, have you listened to any more of this book on a different device? Do I need to change the play location?" It's really dumb. Yeah, they should be smart about detecting slow connections. Let's do a three by three. Let's start three good things. Three good things. Should we start with you or should we okay. start with Let's me? start with me because I'm because I have very little notes. I really like this book. Mm. <laughs> what an insightful <laughs> review that was. That was a good first point. Oh god. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm lost without my sticky notes. Okay, so my one of my good points is that I thought it was I thought it was great because it was very actionable. Like the complete opposite of War of Art. Yeah, there was very clear examples of what what can be done to help that particular focus. Um, but at the same time, it gave like, I know this was one of the things that sort of went off in my head. It had like anecdotes mm-hmm. for each chapter as well. <laughs> and here's, here's <laughs> yeah, this is the best part. I, I found the pattern. If you have, if you're going to write a book, right? If you're going to write a personal success book, mm-hmm. you have to use these anecdotes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, any airline that's successful, Southwest or Continental, use a quote right. from that. Rosa Parks, bring that up to to make a point. Mm-hmm. Stanford Prison Experiment, also another one. And then Michael Phelps. Michael fucking Phelps, yes. <laughs> Tell the Michael Phelps story. Yeah, I think he lifted that whole thing straight from the power of, of habit. Power of habit was also there. Even the Stanford Prison Experiment, I feel like, was in power of habit. Yeah, I can't remember, but yeah, possibly. Rosa Parks was in Outliers, I believe. And yeah. then the Southwest and Continental Airline was also in Outliers. But those are great stories, I mean. They are great stories. Yeah. One would hope you could find more stories to illustrate <laughs> your points than just those four. Do you have another good point? I liked his criteria for making a decision on whether to accept a project or not. Or even pretty much any decision. It's the, it's the hell yeah um, yep. approach. It's either... Hell yeah, or definitely no. I think that's super helpful because I definitely feel like I fall into the middle sometimes. I'm like, ah, it might be okay, maybe not. Do I want to do that or do I want to do this? Um, Mm -hmm. Framing it as it's either a hell yeah, otherwise a no, was very interesting and feels helpful. Yeah, and that goes sort of into my next point, which is really good, is that it was structured in a way that sort of blended into each other that was very logical to me 
So, and that section where he talks about like the yes and no, I think eventually he does talk about like how to say no. Yes, that was a nice, like the gentle no, the way to... Which is super helpful. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I wrote, which was um, like super meaningful to me, was saying no has a short-term popular loss, Mm -hmm. but a long-term gain in respect, which is sort of a nice little mantra to remind yourself whenever you do say no. For me, there is a lot of social pressure, or I feel a lot of social pressure whenever I say no. Um, So I am the kind of person that tends to say yes through peer pressure. I mean, this is really great for me. And giving you like eight different examples of how to say no with clear examples on how to say them was also fantastic for me. That was great. I think my favorite was in person, just not saying anything. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So I really want to try that out. (laughs) Until the other person says something, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, his suggestion was count to three. Right. Without saying anything after someone asks you to do something. <laughs> if you're feeling a little more advanced, just don't say anything. <laughs> Wait for the other person to talk. There was, uh, I liked a little anecdote um, about who was the guy that wrote uh, Seven Habits of Influential People. Mm, I'm not sure. It was an anecdote about him and turning down like uh, a dinner from a really high profile client Mm. to spend time with his daughter Mm -hmm. and the way that he said no was uh it was like one of the most meaningful experiences of the daughter's uh time with the father oh yeah that was that was a lovely story Mm -hmm. yep it came the twist you thought he was gonna say yes but actually he said no yeah one other, one other quote that I really liked were the, the three assumptions versus the three core truths. I completely <laughs> missed that part. <laughs> this is like, uh, I think this is like chapter one when he's explaining about what an essentialist is. And it's sort of like the mindset of the difference between an essentialist and a non-essentialist. Um, like a non-essentialist, like the three assumptions is that oh. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all important and or like I can do both. Whereas like the essentialist, um, thinks of it this way like i choose to do this you know only a few things really matter and i can do anything but not everything right it's just like yes that last one was amazing yeah i love that like little mind shifts that you know you should bring around with you to make you think more like an essentialist i like the bit where he talks about sleep and how in the past it's been like a badge of honor for like how little sleep you get right and now people are realizing fuck that that's stupid sleep a lot and as someone who likes to sleep or mm, is that true i don't like sleeping i feel like i have to sleep Mm. um i my early evening naps are legendary (laughs) in some circles and i feel like i have to like it comes like six six o'clock and i'm just like exhausted and uh, i just need to close my eyes for like 20 minutes nice and i yeah maybe in the past i would have felt some stigma about that the entrepreneurs are now embracing the amount of sleep they get and going look i got eight hours sleep totally because i fucking need it that section made me so jealous i so i've actually made it an effort to try and get eight hours of sleep because i do feel really exhausted even though i can still function like five to six hours of sleep but the thing is like it does cut into you know my ninja drawing time (laughs) it's difficult to get eight hours of sleep like if you want to get up at seven you need to go to bed you need to be in bed by 11 yeah (laughs) and you're like, wow, that's... And so you get home at, what, 7, 7.30? Mm-hmm. 
you know, you really don't have that much time. And of course, you are also an essentialist. Yeah. So you're going, you know what? Spending time with my family is, and the people that I love, is what's important. Mm-hmm. Not just me going on the computer and putting my headphones in. Uh, I think I would have liked to have a bit more balance in the family versus work area that he was talking about. How do you decide between the two? That bit felt a little unclear, like the example of that story mm. where the guy's been signing with his daughter. Yeah. But at the same time, you're, you need to be focused on your work and writing and saying no to people. Like, right. Do you say no to your daughter so you can go and write your book? Well, I think he actually touches on it at the end, right? Like where he says he doesn't do lectures or stuff like that because he knew it would come into time that he's spending with his family. Mm. And I think it boils down to what the reader determines is essential. Mm-hmm. But I think he did touch on family a lot, which is really good. Like there's that one anecdote of this one family where they decided to uh, not do any extra activities of like joining a book club or playing bridge mm-hmm. specifically because they wanted to spend time with the family. Right. Now that anecdote I flagged as strange. That was a bit, that was something I disagreed with. I love spending time with the people that I love, but becoming a hermit, that seems a little str- uh, that uh, I was like I didn't totally agree with that. I thought that was a little odd. I think it was more like something to benefit the development of the child, like being around family. I don't know, that's that's the way that I read it or heard it. But you want to be a well-rounded person with friends and right. a network of people around you. You don't want to become like this, just this person who just lives in their house and doesn't do anything. Yeah, I don't know that bit. That bit did jump out of me as something I wanted to flag and go. Mm, well, is this necessarily a good idea? Mm. But also, I'm coming from this as that I don't have. I don't have a family. I don't have kids, mm-hmm. so I perhaps don't have that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it also sort of makes sense to me because I'm. I think the family also had like a day job, right? Mm, right. Meaning, like they're coming home around six, and then to go off and do bridge, playing poker with friends is just more time away from the family. Where time with the family is already so precious, right? Actually, to a little, little crossover, listening to the friendshiping episode, having some self healing time, mm. I think is also really important. That's maybe the person I am, but I need some time to go and just do my thing do we talk about this friendshiping episode maybe i'm jumping ahead to uh, <laughs> later in the show <laughs> right so listen out for that later on <laughs> it's gonna be a callback <laughs> right yeah so this is a call forward there was a thing he said that i found amusing he didn't want his tombstone to read he checked email <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i wish if they ever made a carving of me on my tombstone it won't be of me like staring into my phone <laughs> With, like, the only motorized part being my thumb, like, sort of scrolling down the page. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, my last good point on my three by threes for the goods is um, I think this is actually a really great companion to Marie Kondo's books. Yes, there was, there felt like there was a lot of uh, similarities. They even talks about organizing a wardrobe. Yeah. And I felt like, while Marie Kondo's book is very mystical. We should also probably say who Marie Kondo is and what right. her book is. So Marie Kondo wrote a book called The Secret Japanese Art of Tidying. Or is it The Secret Art of Tidying, The Japanese Way of... I don't know. Something the like cha- that. The life-changing magic of tidying up. Mm-hmm. 
something yeah something like that that's it and there she essentially goes through and talks about how to tidy your house and living space and your workspace so that it betters your life and one of the Mm -hmm. core tenets in her book is uh it boils down to like what is essential to you which is very similar to the themes in this book it's like but Mm -hmm. the way that she puts it is what sparks joy in your Mm -hmm. heart and i feel that what greg McEwen is saying is very similar is boiling it down to what you feel is the most essential but not only in like aspects of tidiness but also like your work life like your rest being able to play all that stuff goes through which is really good i made a note fear of missing out of Mm -hmm. an opportunity three criteria that's all i wrote (laughs) (laughs) sam do you do you remember that bit (laughs) Hmm, I don't know if I read, I don't think I took a note of that, but I do know what you mean. I wrote FOMO. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm glad yeah. we both noted the same thing. Yeah. But then I also wrote in um, sunk cost bias, which is um, continuing to work on a on on something merely because so much time has already been spent on it, you know? Yes, you then think that is more important because you've started it. Right, and yeah. because so much time was already spent on it. Like Mm -hmm. there's this bias towards it that it's important where chances are it's probably not that crucial. It becomes difficult to judge without bias whether something is important if you've already sunk a whole lot of energy and money and effort into it. Yeah, that's a good bias to become to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole chapter was super interesting. But not enough for me to make notes on it, apparently. Yeah. I had very positive feelings about this book. Now onto the bad part. Yeah. <laughs> My first nitpick is that his word for the opposite of an essentialist is non-essentialist. <laughs> and very, very often and repetitively, he uses the format of saying an essentialist does X, a non-essentialist does Y. Right. And he does that a lot. In audiobook form, it is so easy to miss that first syllable mm-hmm. that I found myself constantly going oh wait is he talking about an essentialist or a non-essentialist wait what was that is that non or is that essential is, <laughs> to me it was akin of a novelist naming two characters in their books like almost the same name <laughs> right like, you wouldn't you wouldn't ever do that because people would just get confused like joe and john wait are they who's this so i would have preferred it if he had spent a little more time in thinking of a name for someone who's not an essentialist Mm. I mean, maximalist jumps out as me as a possible candidate. <laughs> and that was five minutes of thinking, you know, I would have liked him to do that. I don't know. Did you, did you find that or am I just a little, was that just me? I think, I think when you read it visually. Yeah, this is, I think this is probably a problem just in the audio form. Right. And I don't know what the rules are between creating an audiobook for uh, a book and how much you can actually change some of the text. But even as an author, like, I wouldn't be happy. The opposite of my whole grand theory is non-grand theory name. In Harry Potter, if if you have, like, wizards and non-wizards, you're like, oh, geez. You'd kind of want, like, a, dis- a slightly disparaging term for the yeah. people that haven't seen the light and come to come to your way of thinking. So but it's, yeah, like, like muggle. <laughs> That's right. You're perfect. <laughs> how do you think of these things, Sam? <laughs> My bad point is uh, is very is very nitpicky as well. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have very many bad points, but if I were to have a bad point, it would be those anecdotes. <laughs> you know, if you're a person that reads a lot of personal success books, these are stories that you've heard before, and they are still meaningful. But it's just like, come on, like I heard this already. Yeah, you can tell that he's done his research and read tons of other books. <laughs> he knows the secret formula. Yeah, 
I'm actually developing the secret formula for my my startup family book, my personal success book. Ah, excellent. I look forward to reading it. Although I might <laughs> skip that bit about Michael Phelps, though. Right. Second bad point. Second bad point. A couple of times I wondered if following this path of becoming an essentialist kind of just makes you a selfish asshole. Mm. This came up over dinner when I was trying to explain the book as well. And I was asked, like, this just sounds like being selfish. And people come to you for help and you just say no. And I didn't have a very good rebuttal, partly because I only listened to the book and I haven't, you know, retained much of the information. But I'm wondering if, I mean, he has all this bit like, oh, it's actually respect if you say no to people. But I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering in the long term, how is, are you just being a selfish asshole and saying no and well, not helping people? Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, it could be yeah, it could be to a point where like if you've completely gotten the wrong parts of this book and taken it to heart, you're just like saying no to everything and taking all the time for yourself, sleeping eight hours a day (laughs) and taking weeks off just to to recoup your brain. And that's all you do now. (laughs) That's all I do. But I think, well, the structure is that one person's job or task that's been assigned to you is more essential than the other than then technically you'd be doing that, right? There's at least one party that's not that doesn't think you're an asshole. My thoughts would be you're like writing a paper and mm. your friend asks you, oh, can you read my paper? But <laughs> you, that's not essential, so you say no. It would be funny if you like labeled your friends as essential and non-essential <laughs> in like your phone book. <laughs> what does this tag mean, Edwin? Like under <laughs> Sam, it says non-essential. <laughs> oh, you know, you don't have to worry about that, Sam. You, do you have a second bad point? I actually do not. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, right, I have some more. So yep. I also... <laughs> I guess these two points kind of roll together. Uh, there's a section where he talks about how he decided to go to Stanford because he had this <laughs> grand epiphany and he couldn't possibly go anywhere else. So all he so he only applied to go to Stanford and right. he went to Stanford. That was a bit where I also paused and was like, is that good advice for people really? Um, right yeah i can see that seems like and then i sort of started to think about the whole book as well and it seems like this this book has a lot of good advice for people who have like found their calling or like Mm -hmm. very close to knowing what they love to do i then started wondering for people who don't know what they want to do and haven't found the thing they love to do would they get as much out of this book is there anything in this book to help them try and find that right that's true um there's also a sense that the the reader knows what is essential to them whereas i think a lot of people that could possibly read this book is uh, would not be sure what's essential to them and they're still sort of discovering yeah you know like should i be uh, a dancer or should i be a writer yeah this seems like a good book for someone like in their mid-30s perhaps but if you're a teenager or someone exactly starting out um you probably yeah you haven't yeah had that experience of you should probably try, try everything. Like, I can easily see how a teenager would read this and think getting a tattoo is absolutely essential and then follows right. the steps yes. to have that tattoo done on him. Because there was an anecdote in the book where a couple and their child, and the child was, you know, they would try an activity for a few weeks and if the kid didn't like it, then they'd mm. just move on to something else. That got me thinking about me. Right. And my folks wanted to get me to play a musical instrument mm-hmm. you know and uh, i started off on the violin and i didn't want to i just kept playing it like a guitar so then they, <laughs> so then they pivoted him into a guitar and of course as 
often happens with you know little kids. Because I think I was probably like five or six at the time. You know, my interest waned, and I wasn't too interested in it anymore. But you know, they would make me practice, and they would you know, it's about time to practice your guitar. And I am so grateful that they did that. Right. Because now I love playing the guitar, and it's like my escape. But I feel like if they're taking this this anecdote that they, they this guy has in the centralism, where they go, oh, if the kid didn't really like it, they just move on. <laughs> Like yeah, often kids true. don't know. Like I think the job of the parents often is knowing what's best for the kid, even if the kid doesn't know it themselves yet. Yeah, I guess that would be another bad point of mine. Is like it was very written from a viewpoint of a privileged person that has <laughs> right. so many things and so many options going on in their their daily activity that they have the luxury of choosing what is essential and non-essential. Yes, I shall hire a cleaner to clean up this mess <laughs> yeah. because I want to go and think about my books. <laughs> You know, think about a person that has to work two jobs, right? Like to to support the family. Yeah. And thinking about that person reading this book, you know what? Like that second job, not essential. <laughs> it is. It is very. Um, I think the demographics of this book is pretty narrow. Uh, that's it. I think for the bad points, that's all I had noted down. What would be? What would you want to do with this book? Like the future points. I have ordered the dead tree version of this book. Oh, cool! Because I want to be able to flick through it and like there are definitely some parts that i want to pick out and you know perhaps just like leave open on a table for someone else to pass read <laughs> you know this is the second time that you said the dead tree version mm-hmm. and i've actually just got it now by what you meant by that oh i think it's a thing people say really yeah i thought you meant like the publishing company oh like random house dead tree <laughs> you know? Now that you mention it, that's a really annoying turn of phrase, and I don't like it. It's like people who say, fat coke. I don't like those people. I'm sorry if you're one of those people. It makes it seem like you're from PETA. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to revise this. I got the paperback version. <laughs> but now you sound so basic. It's very unhipster <laughs> of you. That's fine. No, I'm happy with that. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I would definitely want to go back and read it. There is a lot of stuff like the decision making. That's something I feel like comes up quite a lot in my mm-hmm. life is just not being able to make a decision like there's right. always something better like i need to evaluate all of the options thoroughly before i can even begin to think of a decision whereas you know if it's 90 percent, fuck yeah then that's it you know yeah. anything less than that just no don't even pretend to consider it you know just just knock it out um more study will be done i'm glad that i also have the paper book the paperback slash dead tree version of this book <laughs> and i think i'm going to recommend it to a lot of people I think there's a lot of really good information in this book that, especially for people that have liked Mary Kondo's book, I I will recommend this book if they haven't already read it. So I think it hits the same notes. Um, also, the thing that I took away from this that I really liked were the balance of play and sleep and being mindful, being meditation. It seems like those are all things that I'm kind of currently trying to do right now. Um, so I think I'm reading this at a good point. Quite a few of these things I've already, I've was already doing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'm sort of on my way to becoming an essentialist. Like I'm right. very, very picky about which apps go on my phone. So I don't have, there's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. Wow. I do have work email, but there are no notifications turned on. I have to go and manually check work email. So that makes it a lot easier. So yeah, that's my first steps. I was like, oh, I'm already doing that. Oh, that's pretty good. I quite like that. Um, turning down more meetings turning down meetings is something I'm going to take away from this as well or just at least thinking like what is the outcome like if there's a clear outcome or a clear decision point or like this is stuff I need to learn about or share then it's a yes 
Yeah. If it's just a meeting because I've been invited, I think I'm going to be more, yeah, more discerning as to whether I click that accept or decline. I think there's also a section in this book where there's an anecdote about someone that just took a week off to think about the future of the business, right? That's something that's very useful. It doesn't have to be like a week off, but even taking like two hours in a day to think about sort of the future of the stuff that you're working on, I think could be really beneficial. And that's something that I'd like to try out. I'm also going to think about what is important. Spending time with the people you love is probably the most important thing. And that's Mm -hmm. all that really matters when it comes down to it. So I am going to be more mindful about that and be present. Yeah, that's the other thing he's talking about, which is which I quite liked, is, you know, being present right. for other people. Yeah. You can sit there, but if you're, you know, thinking about other things, thinking about the work, office planning, what's happening tomorrow, yep. all this crazy stuff, um, you know, that's not actually quality time. And yeah, being present with the people that you care about is really much the only thing that matters when it comes down to it. Yeah, that anecdote that he shared about the person that he was talking to, that asked a question from him. And then he proceeded to check something on the phone or was interrupted by the phone and didn't say anything for about like two minutes. And then so he just walked away and then he bothered him again saying like, hey, you know, like I have this question for you, which I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of doing. Um, not to me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think lots of good, lots of good morsels of uh, mm. information here. Good job. If you were to rate this book. Considering we're, you know, rich and middle class, I think we have to say we loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're, we're the exact demo for this book. We totally are, right. We're so overburdened by too many choices in our lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited about this next part. Okay, I shall reveal the next book. Now, I want to preface this by saying this might be a little ambitious because mm-hmm. the book I have chosen, I did some research, and the audio book is 14-odd hours, and the actual book itself is about 500 pages. I think I can do 14 hours. Yeah, do you remember how long Felix Castor was? Felix Castor was uh, 13 hours and 48 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a similar page count, wasn't it? It was around Mm -hmm. like 400 pages. And this is, the book is larger, but the print is also larger. So this is, just comes in at about, yeah, 480 pages. So, okay, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. This fortnight's book club book is William Gibson, The Peripheral. I've never heard of this book. No, this is William Gibson's first book since 2010. Huh. So this is quite interesting. Like, he's probably famous for writing uh, sort of sci-fi dystopian mm-hmm. thrillers, uh, Neuromancer, uh, Zero History. Yeah, like, he's done a whole bunch. So this is his first book in five years. Was William Gibson also the person that wrote Do Robots Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, that is Philip K. Dick, I okay. believe. So this is his book. Uh, it came out last year, I think, 2015. I was looking looking at the synopsis, because, you know, we like to read a little little synopsis. Uh, this is three paragraphs of synopsis. Wow. So let me just look online and see if I can find a little something more succinct than that. So normally, um, I read, like, the first two sentences, and it actually turned out to be okay. Well, let's see if this works for this book. Flynn Fisher lives down a country road in rural near-future America where jobs are scarce unless you count illegal drug manufacturing, which he's trying to avoid. Her brother, Burton, lives, or tries to, on the money from the Veterans Administration for neurological damage suffered in the Marines' elite haptic recon unit. And there you go. (laughs) Okay. 
Already I'm gripped. Yeah, see, no one can give a good... Maybe that's, maybe that's a good sign. No one can give a nice, succinct sample of this book. Uh, the story is set in multiple futures. It focuses... Uh, the novel focuses on Finn... Uh, sorry, Flynn and her brother Burton. Yep, uh, Burton is a veteran of the Marines Elite Haptic Recon Force. Flynn and Burton become involved in a security job that may be connected to a murder. So I'm not going to read any more because there might be spoilers. Mm. So uh, this did... I'm trying to remember how I came across this. I think this was perhaps reviewed in the Guardian newspaper mm. uh, favorably. So this was an impulse purchase, <laughs> which has been sitting on my desk for you know a month or two. So I thought this could be a pretty good uh, book club book. Great. I'm excited. I'm going to read it. Good. Uh, I shall too. SPGs. Bling. Perfect. (laughs) On your recommendation, I watched Terminator Genesis. I say that because of the, the stupid spelling of Genesis. Yeah, that's so annoying. But then once you've watched the movie, it kind of makes sense. Doesn't really. There's no reason why they spell it Genesis. Well, because they couldn't get the domain name Genesis, clearly. (laughs) Fuck that Phil Collins. (laughs) I believe you told me that this is the only sequel to Terminator 1 and 2 that James Cameron sanctioned as canon. Yes, I believe that is true. And that intrigued me. That is Mm -hmm. one of the main reasons why I decided to watch it. (laughs) Not my own personal recommendation. I am am hurt, Sam. (laughs) No, No, but that was part of your recommendation. Oh, that's true. And you'd seen three and four. I have seen... Oh, seen three. I've seen... Which one was three? Three was Claire Danes and the female Terminator. And then four was Christian Bale yelling at the guy because he he was fiddling with the lights while he was trying to do some acting i watched three that's Mm -hmm. the one where spoilers so we should mention does it even matter it's a 10 year old movie okay or probably but yeah you're right we should so the next section of is this the show podcast will contain spoilers regarding the terminator series so if you haven't seen this 20 year old movie franchise (laughs) Go and do so now. <laughs> and then press play. Yeah, we'll be here. So I really, I'm just going to say, I really, really liked it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, it was it really enjoyable. Um, and I thought the casting was really well done. I have a couple of issues with, I have one issue with casting. And that was that John Connor looked like an accountant. See, I thought he was one of the best casted guys because when you see him at first, he's sort of like this uh, war-scarred veteran. Mm, I just thought like he was someone who was going to ask about my W-2. <laughs> but at the same time, like he had this like paternal nature, which was really, um, I think, which is what connected him with Kyle. And then in, and in one aspect, he looks like a total vicious badass. Yeah. And at the same time, like, there's this angle of him where he's, you know, kind of has a baby face. I was still jolted out, like, oh, right. uh, that's John Connor? I just didn't buy it straight away. But I can see your point. Like, he does he does go through quite a good metamorphosis of having... Yeah. He's like a Two-Face. Not literally Two-Face from <laughs> Batman, but he has Two-Faces. <gasps> like in the Seinfeld episode. 
<laughs> yeah, the different lighting. Yes. Exactly. And because he had like this war torn face versus kind of having a baby face and like a paternal face and, you know, sort of like an honest face, his face actually reminded me of Chucky from. From Rugrats? No, from. <laughs> Chucky the movie. Chucky movies? Like where the doll comes to life? Yeah. <laughs> No, I was being deliberately obtuse there. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have not seen those movies. Because I think I was like too young. Well, maybe not too young, but I was too scared to watch them when I was younger. And now the time has passed. Like, well, why would I watch that? Well, see, you're probably too young. But, you know, my brothers also... Oh, oh yes. <laughs> they would just watch the movies while I was too young. Put it on repeat next to your crib. So his face is like ingrained in my psyche. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, I thought the casting was actually really good. Um, so here are the aspects that I really liked about it. It was sort of uh, a fan fiction done right. You know, they're, they're obviously with any sort of um, fantasy work like this, where it seems like it's fan fiction, like there are parts that are cheesy, but I think there are never moments that are like overly cheesy. You know, one of those problems, like in Terminator 3, I think it is, and he has like those pink star sunglasses <laughs> yeah. on. <and> you're like, <sighs> like that's, I just know. <laughs> I can see what you're trying to do, but that joke fell flat. Whereas I think they pretty much nailed a lot of them in this. But I like the I like their rationale of him aging. Yeah, oh, she calls him Pops. Right, oh God, amazing. <laughs> Which I thought was a really nice touch. Um, but yeah, overall, Terminator Genesis, I really enjoyed. I thought the the story was pretty cohesive. Just a good, you know, roller coaster movie. Yeah, we're just going through the ride. Mm. Yeah, I think some people, and I kind of agree, like having John Connor as a Terminator. Mm. I don't know, it didn't necessarily bother me, but I can see why people would be a little bit like, oh, really? I don't know how I felt about that. Like, I think it's quite a good twist. Yeah, it's quite it's a pretty good twist. Yeah, I, I thought it fit the, the, the storyline really well. And, mm. you know, one of the main reasons why you would break it is because that happened. Otherwise, it would it'd just be like a continuum of the same story over and over again. So with these franchises, you do have to, mm-hmm. at some point, go, okay, we are going to move on, especially with time travel. Yeah, it almost, it felt a little bit like Star Wars Episode 7, that you're retreading the original. It felt like it's following in the footsteps of the original mm-hmm. for like the first little bit. You get all the callbacks to the old movies, but then you go off in this completely new direction. Was there any hints at the end of the movie where it would possibly lead to another movie? Good question. I don't think it did. Which I kind of liked. And they were both just all sort of stuck in 2017, right? At the end of the movie? Yeah, I think the those Skynet headquarters blew up a little bit too easily. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like one thing blows up and then suddenly an entire complex and skyscrapers blow up as well. Right. Yeah. Plus, okay. Well, you would assume that a Terminator from the future does know how to make bombs. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad my recommendation paid off. Giving recommendations in public is quite stressful. There is another recommendation that I just couldn't get through, though. <laughs> uh, what pretel is that? <laughs> uh, it would be our beloved The Expanse. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it finished last week right. with a double episode. Uh, a ten, So it's a 10-episode arc. Uh, how far did you get? I think I got to... Eight, which is the episode where Thomas Jane, I forget his character's name. A stupid hair, fedora guy. 
he gets fired mm-hmm. and when he decides to take a trip oh and everyone's heading towards mm-hmm. um oh gosh i'm blanking on the name aurora right. station um or aura i think so Oh, there you go. But yes, you see all the threads of the story coming together because they're all heading to the same place. Yeah, and it just... Wasn't that... How could you stop watching that? No. That was a bit where I was like, oh my god, finally. No. And even my favorite character started to get super annoying. Who's your favorite character? Um, The the UN lady. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty cool. But I found, yeah, towards the end of it, she's just like way too manipulative and... Oh, was this where she goes to visit James Holden's yeah. mother? Yeah, I wasn't crazy about that either. <laughs> and there is one part. Where okay, first of all, let's let's talk about uh this is major spoilers, right? Do it. They're about to get caught by the Mars police, um, because they've outfitted a Mars ship with accoutrements to the ship to make it seem like a shipping uh shipping right. thing. Yeah, the ship they got from the butcher of Anderson Station. Right. And their solution, you know, one one guy's brilliant idea, like the solution on like how to get away from it is literally donkey balls. Like the guy goes, donkey balls. And I was just like... Oh God, I'd forgotten about that scene. Like, what? And, and everyone's like, what? Like, donkey balls. You know, he like repeats itself. And he's like, yeah, man, I had this one crew. And I was just like, oh my God, really? Like, I don't care is if it, that was... That they, they have to type in the password or something. Yeah. And it's donkey balls. <laughs> Ah, uh, I mean, oh, I'd forgotten that scene. <laughs> even if it was just written down on the book, I would have changed it for the sake of the screenplay. You know, one of the many things that I find to be the problem, it's like making a big deal out of something that's pretty silly. So I think we can reveal that after finishing nine episodes, I have reversed my opinion. This is a terrible show. Don't watch it. <laughs> I was wrong. Right. That would have been handy because... You just you you convinced me that I should watch the show, the rest of the show, and at that point I just finished episode five, and so I had uh, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten to go, and uh, so I turned on the sci-fi app, and as soon as I started watching it, oh, I'm gonna talk to you, talk to you about another issue. <laughs> as soon as I turned on the app, I watched maybe five minutes, and then it goes into the commercial break, and it says add one of six playing. These are like full thirty-second ads. Jesus. And so I was like, okay, I can't watch it like this. There's, there's got to be something that's better. Um, so I decided to just buy it off of Amazon. Or do a season pass. Just do a season pass, right? <sighs> that's what I did. Season pass was 19 bucks. Oh, okay, good. Uh, I paid more from that. Right. <laughs> but I still paid 19 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to finish it. Oh, no, wait, this is the sunk cost fallacy. Ah. Right. Um, I think I will finish it because um, I've already I'm already on episode eight and there's just two more to watch. So hopefully um, and then in the next episode of the show, I will talk more about the ending. OK, yeah, we can do a final postmortem. What is really, really curious is if you do a search online, mm-hmm. everywhere has glowing reviews. I know. I am baffled by like I th- <laughs> I think sci-fi must be paying some people <laughs> a lot of money for this because like there is no way that people can think this is eight to nine stars out of ten. <laughs> you know, you read the reviews and they're like amazing character studies and you're like, what? <laughs> Are we watching the same thing here? I don't understand how you can say this. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because I actually really like Thomas Jane. He was also in one of my favorite movies, Love Actually, uh, Deep Blue Sea. 
And love actually. <laughs> and love actually. So look forward to the next episode of the show where we will continue to bag on the expanse. <laughs> and don't make the same mistake Sam did and buy the rest of the episodes. I'm gonna have to explain that to my wife. Ooh, so we'll do a little call back <laughs> to the friendshipping episode that we mentioned during the book club review. Yeah, so the latest episode of Friendshipping which I think is called uh, Emotional Dumping Ground and Sexual Pooping. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Great episode. Another great episode from Friendshipping. Yay. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really valuing their podcast. I mean, these are obviously two people that have studied the art of friendship. Yeah, I wonder how do they how are they so wise? Yeah, I think they must have read some books about like the dynamics of friendship or been to seminars where um, they focus on like high complex attributes of friendship, what it means socially and what it means like almost anthropologically. And it's you know we take for granted like some of the social learnings that we had while growing up, right? Where a lot of times. You know, coming up from a more social environment, you automatically learn these things. But I can imagine for like a lot of people where they don't really have the opportunity to develop these social skills, it's really difficult to fine tune when it's acceptable to do certain things regarding a friendship. Mm -hmm. Right. I think having a complex high school environment that was uh, conducive and you know, good for making friends that I luckily grew up in. I was exposed to a lot of these dynamics and able to get through it before I joined, like, you know, became an adult and joined the workforce. Mm-hmm. But I can see where tons of people might have problems, right? One of the questions that the the episode dealt with was feeling like you're on the first date or, yeah, you're on the first date, but other people feeling you're on the third date, you know, in the friendship. Mm-hmm. But how do you gauge how how far along you are in a friendship? Yeah. And I think that's really, it's it's sort of striking because it's not really something that you think of as something that's required in a friendship dynamic. But the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. Like, a friendship is totally a relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's something where you wouldn't naturally think to pay it much attention. But the the value of this podcast is that it actually, you know, the more that you pay attention to it, the more that it could actually uh, be valuable to you. Right. Yep. And just a question of like the third date and the third, the first date problem. The example that they brought up is, um, you know, like I have a friend who who talks to me like we're on the first date, meaning like, you know, they still wonder what my favorite color is or like what my food is. But I totally feel like we're on the third date, which is, you know, I know like intimate things about you. Like I know certain things. Um, that you like or don't like and so just the behavioral dynamic of that friendship is a little awkward because that's a mismatch right yep yep and so i thought that was super valuable and that you know are there situations in my friendships that i have at the workplace or even like out of the workplace where i sort of take that for granted right mm-hmm. am i overexerting myself to some friendships where i'm asking questions that might seem rude to the person that's not ready for that step in the friendship yet you know it's just made me thought made me think yeah that's one of the things i love about that show is there's so there's so much that makes you just stop and think and then mm-hmm. the episode during like 25 30 minutes 
it's uh it's really incredible yeah and i think it's really great the way um you can tell like they love each other right yes yeah. <laughs> they like practice what they preach and it's really great to hear them really care for each other in a way that's not like overly saccharine but just genuine enough where you actually feel like their their friendship yeah they tease each other a little bit but mm-hmm. then they're also really like honest and sweet with each other yeah yeah that's really really awesome and so like the other thing that i really liked was um whenever people dump on you like whenever they vent you normally don't think being the dumper that it takes a toll on the dumpy and so for example like if i if i come and tell you about all my problems normally in a relationship in like a friendship relationship um people think oh yeah you know like it's just sam getting things off of his chest what friendship being brought up is that all that stuff has to go somewhere and it's actually going on you the dumpy yep right and that takes like an emotional toll like you may not think of it but that like keeping that for the other person or like listening to them actually takes an emotional toll and so you have to be careful about like who you're dumping to because it's not just something that's only beneficial for one side yes i love the example of going can i just dump on you for like 10 minutes right <laughs> you know it's like giving me the time frame asking yep. someone's permission and then going and then, then doing it rather than yeah just taking it without thinking and then i think the other the other side to that is you know whenever you do take that in like you're giving them thought Right. And I thought that was actually really valuable as well. Like whenever you tell people, you know, on like Facebook, oh, you know, like I'm going to be thinking of you this weekend. You know, I hope everything goes well. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's emotional strength that you're putting upon yourself to think about that person. And even though it might seem very light and just a comment, if people actually do that and are taking time to think about you, you know, that's a lot to be thankful for, I think. So I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, It's a great show. I listened to a couple of shows this week, uh, perhaps a little bit more superfluous. Um, the first was an episode of the Writers Panel, and the episode I listened to was Dawson's Creek. Oh wow! Yeah, they got they got Kevin Williamson, and then a bunch of all like the writers who wrote on it. Yeah, it's horrible audio quality. I think it sounds like someone left an iPhone recording in the back of the room. <laughs> oh no! Which is a real shame because I would have liked to, you know, been able to listen to it closer but uh yeah it's really interesting i mean it's crazy the audience are like totally into this fucking dawson's creek they remember every single thing that happened and like they scream and oh and clap at like <laughs> tiny fragments of plot that uh, they're talking about so that's amazing so these are like fans of dawson's creek coming out of the woodwork to watch this panel yeah in 2015 Holy shit. <laughs> yes, it's quite remarkable. There's sections where you know, the audience is like, oh, and clapping, and oh my god, they're talking about their favorite part, and stuff like this. I'm like, wow, these people, amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. um, it also seems like they have an episode uh, with Rick and Morty, with the writers of Rick and Morty, which, if you have not watched Rick and Morty... I've seen a couple of them. I would highly recommend it. It gets better, and... Um, the story arc is actually pretty interesting. But yeah, if you like scroll through, they've got some... I think this is a show where you just pick and choose the people you're interested in. Um, the David Goya episode from January 5th. Mm-hmm. I listened to that. Yeah, David S. Goya, the writer of Batman Begins and pretty much all three of the Nolan trilogy, uh, Batman, Man of Steel, Blade. The story of how Blade got made is really interesting. I would love that. And also, he also co-wrote um, Batman vs. Superman. So now I'm a little less dismissive of it. But then I, I did watch another trailer, which pretty much just is the entire film. So Yeah, that was the trailer that I saw before I watched Star Wars. 
right i'm like why would i i just see everything that happens in this movie i can tell you what can happen in this movie now right <laughs> uh, the final show i listened to was an episode of top four now if you ever wanted to listen to a famous ios developer reviewing mm. donuts from dunkin donuts with his wife then this is an episode for you <laughs> marco arment developer of our favorite podcast app overcast mm-hmm goes and buys one of each donuts in his in his local Dunkin' Donuts store and then reviews them and ranks them with his wife, uh, Tiffany Armand. And then they pick their top four. But yeah, they did a bunch which wasn't, weren't very interesting. The last two, they've kind of gone on location. They did Starbucks um, previously. Where they just went, went like $50 on, on Starbucks drinks and then went and waited them all. So that was kind of interesting. And now, yeah, Dunkin' Donuts. So right. if you need a little distraction, it's kind of fun. Okay. I also heard a, a pretty good one on. Um, I rec- I followed your recommendation and listened to a couple of episodes of the Flop House. Oh yes, and I heard the Golden Child episode, <laughs> which is a beloved movie of my childhood. Amazing! Oh, that's so awesome if you've actually seen them, because it turns out most of those movies I've not seen. It was really funny because they were actually recalling all the stuff that I remember about the movie. And lots of really interesting insights from like uh, a movie critique perspective that I'd never think of or I never thought of. Because um, these guys, it seems like they do watch a lot of movies and critique them. Yeah, they know their shit. It's amazing the, this is the depth of their knowledge that they can conjure up in a split second. Totally. And I, I, have, I struggle to remember the names of famous 90s actors. You'd think that they're probably doing their research, but it almost sounds like they actually just know this stuff. Which is crazy. Yeah, this is one of the shows that I think of as an example when production values are way less important than content. Yeah. You know, like, it's not beautifully produced and immaculately recorded, Mm -hmm. but the content's just really engrossing and great. Right. And especially this one, like, um, one of the MacBook that they're actually recording on. Oh, that's the episode, yeah. Putzes out, yeah. And they had (laughs) to um, use another computer to do it. So, like, the initial 10 minutes of it is kind of ruined, but... You have to get through that, and it's actually quite funny. Um, so, now that you're done with The Expanse, mm-hmm. I have another challenge for us to watch or start watching. I might have told you about this show that's coming up in sci-fi, or it's currently now in like their episode four. It's called The Magicians. Um, I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. It's uh, it's supposed to be based on a book series, much, much like The Expanse. <laughs> But it deals with real magic in the real world and sort of like the implications that it has. Um, But it's like a bunch of people that know how to use magic. Um, That's all I know about it, really. Um, It looks really interesting. So maybe we watch the first episode before the next one. Yeah. And see if we want to continue with it or not. Cool. All right, let's do it. Also, Mm -hmm. it was your birthday. It was my birthday. And you were kind enough to uh, get me a gift. Yes. Of I tried to get the show for you, but if you already own the show, it's incredibly hard to buy it for someone else, which I think is kind of silly. That does seem like they're missing out. Right. You can't even gift anything to anyone else, which is odd. Maybe to bypass like international movie laws or something. Yeah, I can imagine it's probably f- fraught with um, licensing hurdles. Yeah. Um, but I did want you to check out Sports Night, which is one of my favorite TV shows which is penned by Aaron Sorkin. I am a fan of Sorkin. Great, I'm going to do it. I think it is available on Hulu. Speaking of which, there's also a show starting on Hulu on Monday. So today, when you're listening to the show. I don't even know how to say it out loud. Uh, I guess it is 
22nd of November 1963, but it's 11 forward slash 22 forward slash 63. That's the name of the show? Yes. Uh, it's a series based on a Stephen King novel um, produced by J.J. Abrams. And I think James Franco is in it. So this sounds like it could be pretty interesting. Wow, that's like a pretty good trio of creators. <laughs> right, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, this will probably be something we shall be talking about in future. Although you don't have Hulu, though, do you? Yeah, I don't have Hulu. Is it like Hulu exclusive? That is a really good question. I don't know. I should find 11, out. 11, 23, 63. Uh, 22, beg your pardon. Oh, yeah, it does seem like it's Hulu only. Most of the TV I watch is through Hulu. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I will give you an update on that then. I have too many subscriptions right now. I, I feel like I need to get rid of one to like do the other. Yeah, so I started playing Firewatch. Absolutely gorgeous. Like nothing, you know, like completely what I expected mm-hmm. uh, from this team that made the game. Um, it's a story driven game. So it, it, it sort of guides you along the story as you interact the in, as you interact with the world. Um, but it does have its problems. And I'll get more into that as I actually finish the game. From what I've read, it doesn't actually take that long to finish the game. It's about four hours or so. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Perhaps I will... Yeah, right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find out what Steam is, and then I'm mm-hmm. going to buy this game. Great. And then I'm going to play it. Yep. Do it. How are your pillows? Oh, I ordered <laughs> I ordered another one. <gasps> Did you get the Casper pillow? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Um, I bought a what's called a cervical pillow it sounds pretty gross that does sound quite gross yeah (laughs) but essentially it's a pillow and it has a pocket in the center where like the back of your head sort of fits into so it is supposed to be like beneficial for side sleepers but it's also really beneficial for people who just want um a very low profile pillow and so the section that actually supports your neck is very thin in the bottom and then there's like this huge pocket in the center where you can put the back of your head Mm-hmm. sort of fit in have you had any sizing issues <laughs> what are you trying to say edwin <laughs> well i thought maybe the pocket would be the wrong size your head just like fall straight through or like what is this a pillow for ants <laughs> <laughs> like a beach ball on top of a shot glass or something I don't know. yeah so this was the pillow that i really liked but during the move i think the pillow got lost and so i took that opportunity to try another pillow and you know my pillow stories I do. I'm sure we shall revisit more pillow stories in future. Right. So I just got it today. We should call the section Pillow Talk. <laughs> Is that weird? That's maybe, maybe a little weird. Okay. No, it's funny. Like, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> pillow Talk. Pillow Talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that the show? I think this is the show. 